These are interesting times uh, indeed, and I'm so glad that we get to take a step forward next week and, and uh, begin to, to um, meet together. You know, it's important um, that we obey the Lord Jesus. He told us in Hebrews 10, 25, to not forsake our assembling together. And so we're taking that step. And I just want to encourage us to make sure we take that step. We live our lives not in fear, but in faith. And probably more importantly, um, in, in obedience. And so I'm glad we do that. And yet it, it's a balancing act for sure. Um, balancing obedience to the Lord Jesus, but also being aware of safety of our congregation and, and abiding by the, 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 the things set up by our province. And so just with, with, with that in mind, um, I think it's so important that we are lifting up our, our elders and our pastor, Sean, in, in prayer. You know, they would have wisdom. And interesting, when we started the, the study through, um, through James, that very first chapter, it just says that God makes a great promise. He says that he will give wisdom to those who ask in faith. And that this is a time where we need that wisdom. And our, our, our elders and our pastor, man, we want them to, to be hearing from God in that wisdom. In fact, I would like to just pray for these guys right now. Uh, let's bow our heads and, and, and pray for them right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that we can come together however, whether it's online or, or hopefully soon in person as, as we do that next week. And yet, Lord, I just pray for our leaders of our church, our elders, and Pastor Sean, that you would give them your word, your wisdom, so they could lead us in the way you want us to go. And help us to, to conduct our lives not in fear, but in faith. And Lord, thank you for that promise of um, James chapter 1 to give us the wisdom that we need. I pray you give them wisdom to know, give them spiritual eyes and ears to, to hear and see, and all of us spiritual hearts to obey. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we come together, Trinity Bible Church, uh, our pastor Sean has, has made it very clear that we go uh, verse by verse through the, the Bible. That way you can't avoid some of the more difficult passages, um, and that, like, like when we come to, to get together today to, to look at. But that doesn't mean that, as I've, I teased Pastor Sean about this a little bit, that he can't take his vacation during some of those more tougher weeks. <laughs> so maybe that's what's going on. When I, when I got the passage, the assignment, I looked at it and I went, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. So, um, so here we go. James is addressing the rich. And as, as uh, Ian talked about, you might be thinking, well, I'm off the hook. I'm not rich. Uh, we might need to rethink that a little bit. Several years ago, when, when my daughters were quite young, one of them asked me, she said, Daddy, are we poor? And I think she was probably thinking about um, school break time because we have a joke in our, our family that you know, the two weeks at Christmas, the two week, weeks at spring break, it seems like all, the, all of our kids' classmates go to either Moab, Maui, or Mexico. And we could probably afford the first of those, but uh, when your wife's a teacher, she kind of wants to stay home. And the skiing's pretty good that this time of the year in a way, so I'm okay with that. But Moe, Moab, or Mexico, but I don't think we're poor. Um, a recent North American survey, they asked people, they said, what do you think is the median income of people internationally throughout the whole world? And their response averaged to be about $20,000 a year. So what do you think? Is that high or, or is that low? You know, uh, Bev and Paul Carrick, who go to our church here and started the ministry cause County. You guys aren't allowed to ask because you've done so much in the developing world. And I just want to share that I'm very proud to, to be a part of the church that, that you're a part of. But um, the correct answer 
as they would know, and is about one-tenth of that. The, uh, the world's median uh, salary is $1,200. In fact, if you own your own car, you're richer than about 85% of the world. And when I graduated from university many, many years ago, uh, back in the 80s, I went over to Uganda fresh with my horticulture uh, bachelor of science degree, and we were going to rehabilitate, help rehabilitate a coffee and tea plantation. And when we got there, the, the little village where we were staying, the, the chief wasn't there, but they're talking about him. He was a big man. He was an, he's an important man. And they said, he has his own car. Like, ooh, okay. And so about a week later, he, he drives up. And we hear him coming because his muffler's falling off. And it's a beat-up old Honda that, that most uh, Canadian university students wouldn't, wouldn't even, they'd be too embarrassed to drive it. And, um, but, he, but he had a car. And, you know, in fact, if you own a, a, your own home in our country, you're richer than 95% of the world. So we, we are pretty wealthy. Um, there's, there's a quote I have here by James Agresti. He says, the fact remains that the privilege of living in North America affords the poor people with more material resources than the averages for most of the world's richest nations. In fact, the lowest 20% of, of people in North America... They're, if they were their own country, they'd be among the most wealthiest countries in the whole developing world. In fact, that, that poorest 20%, they actually consume and spend more than all but three nations on the average. Um, those three nations are like, I think, Liechtenstein and Switzerland and, and Austria. But, but the average, the 20%, they spend more than the averages of, of developing nations like Germany and Scandinavian countries. And, and other. So we're living pretty well. So when James talks in, in, in chapter 5 here, uh, you, you rich, there's no weaseling out of it for us. So, but let me be clear, it's not a sin to be, to be rich. You know, the Bible in many instances has examples of, of people, patriarchs even, that he blessed with, with great wealth. There's, there's Abraham, um, Solomon, I think of Job. You know, you know, Solomon, probably the richest person to, to live in the history of the world. God, as you know the story, God came to him in a dream and said, Solomon, I'll give you, I'll give you what, one thing, whatever you want. And Solomon says, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm leading your people. I need wisdom. Would you give me wisdom to lead your people? And God says, right answer. In fact, I'm going to give you that, but I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you long life and, 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 and wealth. And so God was the giver of great wealth. So certainly it's not a sin to be wealthy. I want to make that clear from the very beginning. God never condemns wealth. But as we go to James, I want to just back up a little bit. We started this study several weeks ago, and Pastor Sean did a great job of introducing the book. But I want to look at James just a little bit. Uh, as, as it's been said, he's the half-brother uh, of our Lord Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, it tells us that his siblings, Jesus' siblings, were not believing in him. But uh, as we saw previously, it was probably the resurrection that, that turned things around and allowed them to, you know, boy, he really is Messiah. He really is Jesus. And James went on to be not just a believer, but the leader of the church and possibly the leader of, of the church. And, and the thing I like about James, he had a couple of nicknames. This might have been brought up before. One of them was James the Just because of his, his, his personal righteousness. But the other nickname that I really like is... Um, camel knees. I think I have a picture of an old guy, an old runner. He's an 80-year-old runner. Uh, and you look at his knees, and, and James 
had needs like that because he's such a, a prayer warrior. Now, when he wrote the book here, he's probably, I don't think he, it was probably written f- f- between 40 and 50 A.D. And James didn't live much longer than that. And so he was only like 50 years old, but he had the knees like a camel because he spent so much time on his knees. In fact, Eusebius, who was a very er- early church historian, he said this to James. He said he was in the habit of entering the temple alone and was often found upon his bended knees and interceding for the forgiveness of the people so that his knees became as hard as camels in consequence of his habitual supplication and kneeling before God. Well, no one's ever given me that nickname, but what a badge. What a badge of honor to be called camel knees. James died as a martyr. Um, it's interesting. For some reason, the Jewish leaders might not have gotten the word that he had done 180 degrees in belief about his brother. And so the feast of the Passover was coming up, and they had this great idea. They said, we're going to put, how about if we get um, James, we'll put him up on the highest wing of the temple, and we'll get him to repudiate um, belief in his brother. And, and with all the people here for Passover, it'll be really great. So they, they, they did that, but James pulled a fast one on him. And this is, again, what, what uh, Eusebius said about this. They were to ask him, O thou just man, whom we ought all to believe, since the people are led astray after Jesus that was crucified, declare to us what is the door to Jesus that was crucified. And Eusebius writes that James answered with a loud voice, Why do you ask me respecting Jesus, the Son of Man? He is now sitting in the heavens on the right hand of great power, and he is about to come on the clouds of heaven. Well, this greatly enraged the leaders, and, and yet Eusebius wrote that many were affirmed in their faith, but in their rage, they, they threw him off the temple, but he didn't die quickly, so with stones and clubs, they finished off the deed. But just like his brother, James was praying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they're doing. And it led a, a, a priest standing by to, to say, you guys, he's praying for you. Stop. But they didn't stop. And, and James died a, a, as a martyr. You know, when it comes to looking at a Bible passage, as we do today, we need to ask four questions. The first one, who is the author? So we've looked at who the author is, James. James the just, camel, camel knees himself. And then secondly, we ask, who is the audience? And we looked at that, and, and, and we, we need to look at what are they going through? What are they like? What, what might be the occasion that, that this epistle, this letter is, is written? And then thirdly, we ask, ask ourselves, what specifically is, is God, through the author, saying to them? And then lastly, what is the timeless truth, the universal principle that God is saying to us? And most importantly, we ask ourselves, what do we need to do to change our lives to obey? And that's what we're going to be doing today. So we've looked at who Jesus is, or James was, but now the people, from what we see in this passage here in chapter 5, they love money. They were, some of them were rich, and, and they love money. Um, as we've been going through the book of James for quite some time now, we know that James continually throws out tests of faith. You know, the, he, he throws out the, the, the test of trials in the first chapter. And then he throws out the, the test of, of favoritism. And then uh, the test of, of use of the tongue and, and worldliness. And now we come what could easily be the, the toughest test of all, and that is, is how we, we uh, spend our money, our finances. I've got a little graphic. Maybe you guys can throw that up there. person gets baptized and goes under the water. Everything but his wallet holds it up there. Sometimes I think... Maybe that's how we live our lives. 
Um, but remember, the practical instructions, the tests of faith in this book, it's not the path of salvation. The path of salvation is James' brother, Jesus. Forgiveness uh, that was bought for us on the cross. And, and James is a book just allows us to look at ourselves, to examine our faith. It gives us evidence to help us convince us that that, that faith is there. You know, and as we look at these tests, if you're a born-again person, number one, you'll have the desire to be like this. Uh, even though we fail and fall short in so many ways. And secondly, we'll see progress as we move and work towards uh, success in these different areas, these tests of faith, faith that James is throwing out towards us. So remember, the person who, who wrote this is James the Just, James the Righteous. Martin Luther himself, the reformer in the 1500s, he didn't like the book of James. He called it a right straw gospel because Martin Luther was energized and, and he, born again and made alive spiritually as he read through the book of, of Romans and, and saw grace and, and freedom. And, 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 and yet James kind of takes the other tact. But it's not how to get salvation. It's, like I said, your, your test of salvation. So as we come to our passage, chapter 5, verse 1, he introduces it with two words. Uh, if you have your Bible or maybe it's on the screen, what are those two words he introduces it with? Come now. You know, it's like a coach blowing the whistle. Listen up, guys. This is important. You need to know this. That's kind of what come now is saying. And there's only one other place in Scripture where the passage is introduced with those two words, come now. And it's in the very paragraph we looked at just last week. And so James, it looks like he's introducing a new uh, thought, you know, by introducing money. But really, he's just kind of expanding what he began to talk about last week. And the, the overriding theme that we looked at last week was either dependence on God or independence, independence on yourself. Dependence on God or prideful independence. Remember last week he was rebuking them for bragging about the plans they're going to go to this city and make this kind of money and do this and that. And I think what James was saying is, you know, you only do it if God wills. You know, and he, he even said your life is, is a va is, it's like a vapor. It's here today and tomorrow just evaporates away. And you don't know. And, and, and so you depend on God for every step of the way. Now, keep in mind that um, probably back in those days, it was more of a subsistence culture. You know, and people didn't travel that much. And so he's describing these people. They're going to this city. They're staying for quite a while. They're doing this, this business and that. So even though they were, they were Jewish Christians and, and, and some parts of the world were greatly persecuted, these people were rich. They were well off, especially compared to the rest of the people in, 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 their, their, in their culture. But he called them boastful. He called them arrogant. You know, their trust was in themselves. Their trust was in their money. And, and you know what? I, I got to say that this speaks to us. When things are going well in our lives, financially, it's, it's easy for us to coast in our walk with God, isn't it? I mean, we, we feel secure. We feel comfortable. And, and we don't turn to our Heavenly Father as much for peace in our hearts and for day-to-day for -day provision. But that's what he wants us to do. When we live in a place like this where there's such great abundance, it's dangerous spiritually. I mean, I love living in Canmore. You know, and when I come back from, from Calgary, I, I get off on the Three Sisters Parkway and I, 
I drive to my home, and part of me thinks, man, I won the life lottery. I live in Canmore. You know, I can mountain bike and ski and do all this stuff. And even just living in Canada. I mean, it's, it's a financially comfortable place, but it's a spiritually dangerous place because we can rely on the, the things that God has given us. He's given it to us. And not look to him every day, every hour every day, for provision and, and, and for spiritual peace. So it can be a dangerous place, even in a mountain paradise. So, so James naturally rebukes for this independent kind of living that people are trusted to do and to trust in, in your riches. And so he puts on his Old Testament prophet hat. Now the early Christians were mostly Jewish, and they were familiar with, with the Old Testament, and they were familiar with some of the, the way the prophets used to speak. And so James, he kind of steps out of the grace era into the Old Testament prophet era. And he, he's pretty harsh. You know, what's that Old Testament prophet era like? I mean, if you look at books like, uh, let me give you an example. In, in Amos chapter 4, this is not nice. But I just, just a warning here. Amos is speaking to, to the women. He says, hear this, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mount of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we might drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that days are coming upon you when they will take you away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. Later he talks about going into Bethel. Now I went to Bethel Seminary and uh, the undergrad uh, college Bethel, they used to love this part of the verse where it says, enter Bethel and sin <laughs> and, and then Gilgal multiply your transgression. And, and so anyway, so this is the harsh language and James begins to have this kind of harsh language. If we look at our, our passage, what does he say? He says, weep and howl. Now, there are biblical um, recordings, Bible recordings, where people, uh, it's called dra dr dramatized. Now, Ian, you didn't give us a dramatized reading. I would have loved to have heard you howl. <laughs> but the word weep here is used a lot in the New Testament. It's used about 40 times. And it's commonly used in the situation where someone has died and there's grief and, 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 and even wailing going on. And so it's, it's kind of like the context of extreme mourning and emotional pain. The second word, Howl is alalizo. It's only used one time in the, in the New Testament, and it's what they call an onomatopoetic verb, a word that sounds like the word, the, the word that it's describing. And so it's a concept that goes way beyond grief and emotional mourning. It's like emotional despair. So he's telling the people, the rich, you wail and have howling of despair. So this is an intense Old Testament prophetical word here. So what was going on that made James so harsh? A little warning here, because we might see some of ourselves coming here. So the first thing they were doing wrong, they were hoarding their wealth. Let's look at verse 2. What does it say there in verse 2? Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. So let me ask you a question. When do moths eat our, eat our clothes? When we're wearing them? Now, when we storm, when we storm for a, a long period of time. Now, this is a culture where a person would have maybe one tunic, and they wear that tunic for work, for social things, and, and I don't know what they wore when it got, got uh, clean, but, but these rich people had so much excess that they weren't even wearing the clothes that they had. They're storing them away, and the moths are getting at them. You know, uh, one thing in, that you need in Canada uh, is a warm winter jacket. And I've got a lot of them. And one time I got kind of convicted over the many jackets that I had. I wrote about this orphanage in Romania that 
that uh, took in a lot of street kids. And these kids are like living in the underground in the sewers so or a little warmer. And so I got in touch with these guys in the email and, and they said, yeah, like, like there are kids that would wear a dirty old bathrobe that was so worn out, you wouldn't even put it on your dog. And that was their winter jacket. So I'm like, okay. I'm, gonna, see, I'm the chaplain for our Olympic Training Center. And our, a lot of these guys, they get a new, a new four or $500 jacket every year. And they, they'll sell them at the ski swaps and make some money. And you see people, very unathletic people, walking around camera with Team Canada Olympic jacket on, whatever. So say, guys, let's, let's just donate our jackets to this orphanage in, in, in Romania. And so somewhere over in Romania, there's some kids with a Team Canada Olympic jacket. I probably need to do that again. I'm kind of collecting my jackets a lot. So a little convicting here. Let's move on. Uh, verse 3, they did the same thing with their treasure. Uh, it talks about their silver and their gold uh, rust. Your gold and your silver has rusted, and this rust will be a witness against you and consume you. Now, I don't think silver and gold rust. That's why they're precious metals. But it's maybe more figurative here. Um, but God wants to give us provisions and wealth to not only provide for us, but to give away, to not storm like they're storing their, their clothes and their wealth here. He wants us to give it away and use it to have expansion of his kingdom. You know, I know Canmore, our town, is not an easy place to live financially. I know that. It takes discipline to have more left at the end of the month. But, you know, Jesus said a couple of very similar things. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then later in Luke 12, he said, um, of, he told, told, tells us a parable about a man, a farmer who had so much. He said, I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, our trust isn't in the transient riches, um, but it's in God. And our lives should be um, invested with spiritual riches. And if he blesses us with abundant earthly riches, we should be investing that into his kingdom. Now, as you look at verse 3, there's an interesting nuance here I want to share. Where it says, your gold and your silver have rusted. That word is katiotai in the Greek, which it means, which means rust. It's used three times in the, in, in the New Testament. Not that big of a deal. Um, but then it says, and their rust. He uses a whole different word here. And that word is ioas. And ioas is only used one time. But James is using it here for emphasis because usually that word is translated as poison. And, and so I don't know why our translators chose to, probably to keep in, con in the context, you know, translate Iolos as rust, but the real meaning of the word is poison. So have you ever considered your gold and your, your silver, your, your precious metals, your bank account as, as poison? But that's kind of the effect here that James wants us to see, that it can be poison. It can be spiritual poison to us. It can poison our soul. Well, besides poison and peril that comes with wealth, there comes responsibility. 
You know, Luke 12, getting back to Luke 12, Jesus said, you've probably heard this, to whom much is given, much is required. So I think about that a lot, to be honest, because we are a country with whom much has been given. And I want to just share an example of someone that, that I know that's kind of got this right a little bit. My friend Andy, uh, him and his brothers, they were raised, I, I know the family, and uh, I've talked to the mom, and, and they were Salvation Army officers way back in the day. And before, probably before kids, they were given a $50 a month stipend to live on. I mean, this is a long time ago. $50 probably went a lot farther then than it does now, at least I hope so. Uh, so that's the kind of the family that he, that he grew up in. And the brothers, there's three of them, they got into, into trash, into garbage. You know, this is an American family. So the older brother that started the whole thing, he'd say, to you it looks like garbage, but it looks all green to me. <laughs> and believe me, there was a lot of green coming in. And, um, and, and, and my, my friend Andy uh, he, that, that, that several uh, hauling lines and landfills and things like that, but they worked hard to get that, that, that trash kingdom. You know, at, at the early days, they had worked 40 hours a week for an employer in the trash business, and then on the weekends, they'd work another 40 hours, you know, developing their own little company on the side here. And, and so early when I met with Andy, who has supported our ministry really well, he said this about himself. He said, I'm just the keeper of the storehouse. In other words, even though he worked so hard to build that trash empire, he knew that it all came from God. And he knew that, that it wasn't his. It was just a storehouse that was there. And he's the one, he's the keeper of the storehouse. He gives generously and liberally to, to many ministries, but responsibly. Like he tells me, he says, Steve, I'll give you this much, but no more, because what you're doing is good, but I want other people to get involved. I don't want it to be too dependent on me. And he's got a, a cabin up in the north woods of Wisconsin, and he's got quads and snowmobiles and boats and stuff. But he holds it all like everything else with an open hand. And so missionaries like us come up there and we have a vacation. And he's got a list of instructions how to use the stuff. The stuff's not his. It's part of the storehouse. And he shares the storehouse. He manages the storehouse. And so I got him in touch with my friend Tom, who's the NFL chaplain for the Vikings. He says, Tom, this would be a great place to bring some of your guys up maybe with their wives and a little getaway. And, and they're used to the, the Athletes in Action guys at the University of Minnesota. They could bring their leaders up there and, or just be a part of supporting the ministry. And, and so Andy is, is the keeper of the storehouse. And the same way, we are the keepers of the storehouse that God has entrusted to us. Maybe you're more wealthy than my friend, um, but most of us aren't. But we still got a storehouse. And we're still responsible to invest in that storehouse because it's not ours. We're, though, we're, we're to use our resources to those in need. But the cool thing is, it shouldn't hurt. Because Jesus made it very clear that to those who give, you're giving to him, and there's a reward in heaven. You know, we, we tend to look at this life way too much, and not at the life that's to come, and even the rewards that are to come. So how cool is it to use your money too, um, not only to give to those in, in need perhaps, uh, with, jackets or food, but to make new believers. I mean, given your, your resources, being part of that storehouse, to, to make new believers is really cool because you get to greet people in heaven that got there because you gave. For years, I thought about this. I thought, man, we're going to have little celebrations all over the place in heaven when the givers give to the ministry person, and this person gets saved, and we come together, and we just 
celebrate. I mean, heaven's going to be a lot of celebrations. And I want my life to be involved in as many of those celebrations as I can, either as the ministry person or as, or, or as the giving person, to see these new believers come in, into the kingdom. Well, as we go to verse 4 to 6, let's move on here. In verse 4, it says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed their fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and lived a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. And he does not resist you. Well, I, I got to ask, what's, what's going on here? But you know what's going on? It's the same thing that's been going on since the very beginning of civilization. That is that the rich taking advantage of the poor. You know, um, these people have, have cheated out of a fair wage the righteous laborers to their own um, gain. This week I called my friend Cristiano, and, and Cristiano has told me stories of the years of, of his poverty. He grew up in Brazil. He competed in bobsled for, for Canada at the Olympics and Brazil at the Olympics and the World Cup level, but he's told me these stories. And I just, I said, you know, I said, Christian, I'm preaching on, on wealth this weekend. Tell me some more stories. Because I knew he, a pair of shoes had never seen his feet until he was age 10. And that there were times he'd be so hungry, they would kill like seven to 10 sparrows a day and cook them with a fire. He said, yeah, we would eat anything that moves. The snake, lizard, even sometimes rodents. Like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. And I knew that Brazil is, is a nation of extreme poverty. Um, but it's also a nation of extreme wealth, and I'll get to that in a sec. But when I went to the, the Rio Olympics for ministries a few years ago now, I remember driving from the airport to where we were staying, and kilometer after kilometer of the poorest homes that I, I've ever seen just and never stopped in such poverty. And that's what my friend Cristiano grew up in. And um, he grew up on a farm, and for entertainment, this is what they do at night. They take the battery out of the tractor, take it in, in the home, turn on the radio and, and ask them entertainment. Maybe they had a small black and white TV. It might have been just a radio. I can't remember. But then they'd have to put it back in the tractor before the battery wore out because they needed it the next day um, for the farming. And poverty, he told me another time, he kind of got lifted out of that through sport because he was a good um, athletics track and field athlete. So he got to go to university and train as a decathlete. But even there, they're so poor. Sometimes they would go, he told me about one time, they went three days, him and his teammates, with nothing to eat because they just had nothing to eat. And so there, there was a joke. They joke among themselves. They get to the end of the day. You know, decathletes, they train ten, for 10 events. And so they train for hours after going to classes. And they'd be exhausted and so hungry at the end of the day, but they had no food. And so they tell each other, okay, drink water and go to sleep. So for three days in a row, you get to the end of the day, drink water, go to sleep. And one of those nights, he... He had heard about the buffets in Las Vegas. Now, the poverty I'm describing here is so foreign to us. The buffets in Vegas, we're a little more familiar with that. But he had never actually seen a buffet in Vegas, but he'd heard about it. And so he's dreaming in the middle of the night about this buffet that some of us have actually experienced. I know I have. Um, and then he woke up, and the hunger was still there. And, and, and yet, yeah, that, that's the kind of poverty. But you know, in, in, in Brazil... It's the, Amazon, it's the rainforest. There's tremendous mineral wealth and there's tremendous oil reserves. Uh, there's uh, just under 200 mines 
in that country. And collectively, each year they generate like $33 billion. There's gold and diamonds. And uh, Cristiano was saying that, that they're about to open up three lithium mines that are so valuable that it will, it will propel Brazil far and away above and beyond any other country in, in terms of just personal wealth. But with such great wealth, there's all this poverty at the same time. And those mines, you can be sure, are built on the backs of, of, of the poor. You know, Cristiano tell me about his, his uncle. He says he's a very righteous guy, very hard worker. And all his life, he had lived so righteously, and he's worked so hard, and it's got him actually absolutely nowhere because it's his bosses that make all the money. In fact, he said, we have a joke, a saying in Brazil that the boss comes to his worker and he says, you know what? You're doing a great job. And you see that new car that I have over there? You, you keep on working as hard as you are now, and next year, I'll have another one of those new cars. <laughs> and, and that's what James is talking about right here. Because the wealth is being built on the backs of the righteous who are being cheated out of their just um, wages. You know, um, they've lived luxuriously on the earth, it says there in, in, in verse 5, and lived a life of want and pleasure. Unless we think that this is something that's done far off in the Amazon jungle. Um, it is a little closer to home. It does involve Amazon, but not necessarily the Amazon jungle. Just last Friday, as I'm working on this very section of the message, I took a break, walked out to my mailbox, and, and um, lo and behold, there is the package that I've been waiting for two and a half months to receive uh, a new bike jersey, which cost me almost nothing. It was so cheap. But um, I just started smiling because I said, of all the days that God would engineer for that package to come, which I've been waiting for for over two months, would be that day, that hour, that I'm looking at this passage because I knew that that bike jersey came from a country where sometimes kids are deprived of an education and they're chained to a table and forced to sew sometimes bike jerseys. And I was like, are you trying to tell me? I was smiling because he was trying to tell me something. It does get a little close to him. That thing cost me almost nothing. Uh, collectively, I'm going to say it for us all. Ouch. Let's move on here. So to close, James is using some blistering language to condemn the use of the very money that God has given us to use in a righteous way, but they've been using it in an unrighteous way. You know, it, it tells us here in this, in this passage, he says, brothers, this is, this is the last, in these last days. And, you know, it seems more and more every day, it seems like the last days. You can say, well, this was 2,000 years ago, so how could it be the last days? But James is talking about a mentality of the last days. In other words, Jesus is coming soon, and I think he's really coming soon. And it's a call here. James has given them a call and has given us a call to get our lives right. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So where is our heart? You know, are we using the treasure? Are we keepers of the storehouse to advance his kingdom and to give to others? Um, or are we using it for ourselves to make us even more independent of God as our nature tends to take us? He is coming soon. And as you go through hard passages like this, it's a wake-up call. Let's get our spiritual houses in order. Let's get our spiritual hearts in order. 
And let's use our wealth and resources in a way that would reveal that our heart is truly his. Let me, let me lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave us the greatest treasure of all when you gave us yourself. You gave us your life to free us from our sin, to give us eternal life. And Lord, we, we long to be with you. We long to worship you face to face. And we are confidently entering um, into that someday and someday soon. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the ways in our hearts that, that need to be changed. And Lord, show us the, uh, the selfish ways. Show us the, the independent ways that we have. And let us be obedient to you, Lord Jesus. Give us the power of your spirit to move us towards obedience. And Lord, let us not conduct our lives in fear, but in faith, looking to you, the author and perfecter of that faith, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.